Daniel 1 through uh, 21. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judea, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried to the temple of the, his God in Babylon and put in the treasure house of the God. Then the king ordered Espinaz, chief of the court, of, court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude in every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some Judah, was some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, as Azariah. And the chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name of uh, Azariah, to Hannah, and Shadrach, Michelle, Mejach, and Arise Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for the permission not to defile himself this way. No God had caused the officials to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my Lord and King, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, Azariah, Ez please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the raw food. So the guard, guard took away the choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To this, these four young men, God gave knowledge understanding of all kind of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand the visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king with them talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, 
he, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enhancers in the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Before we dive into this new series, I just want just to say that uh, we've got a, something we're going to be sharing with you at the offering time, and I just wanted to give you a heads up about it. And some of you may have already seen an email from us about it. Um, but our business team, when they met this past week, created a, a new fund called the Our Family Cares Fund, which is an extension of a ministry that we've kind of already started. Many of you send cards to people who are shut-ins and that kind of thing. Uh, well, we've also recognized that uh, there's sometimes come up needs within our church family um, that are of a financial sort. And so sometimes there's uh, people who fall on hard times that are members of our church. And uh, in the past, we've tried to kind of just deal with that um, as they come up, as people share the need amongst, you know, from word of mouth and that kind of thing. But uh, we wanted to be a little more intentional with that. And so we're trying this out. We're going to create a, a fund called Our Family Cares Fund. And then from that, uh, we'll have a small team of people that kind of steward those funds. And as we hear about needs within our church community, then we'll be able to uh, help um, as we can. And so we want to encourage you, if you'd like to help us get that fund started, um, then you can g use the little code in your bulletin to go give online, or you can just write on your check or uh, whatever, Our Family Cares, and is the fund name. But, uh, you know, many of us, we would uh, give a few bucks to someone that we see in need on the street uh, and hope that, you know, that it will get used for the thing that we know it should be used for. Um, and scripture teaches us to especially be sure and care for those in our own midst, especially uh, the widows and the fatherless and ones like that uh, in similar situations in our society and in our culture. And so um, anyway, this is a way that you can give to a, to a fund that will support people uh, in times of need that are part of the community of faith and, and rest assured that it will be going towards the things that it needs to be going towards. And so um, I encourage you to, to do that today if you want. And James plans to remind you about that when we come to our offering time. But I wanted to explain a little bit. So a new series we launched today called Daniel. And we're going to be able to read a big chunk of this book, as you could tell. We just start off with a full chapter. We don't usually read a whole chapter, but... Um, but Daniel's got a lot of good stuff in it, and so we're just going to take a look at it for a few weeks and see what we, uh, what we learn. You know, about uh, 80 years ago, Germany invaded Poland. And some of you probably learned about that in history class, but suddenly, I mean, they just blazed through Poland on a, a kind of a trumped-up pretext that they said, you know, look... Uh, Poland's done something wrong, we're going to move in and take over. And when they did, they killed a whole bunch of civilians. And when they did, they dragged off a lot of Jewish people. As we know, that was the Nazi way, right? Uh, and so they dragged a whole bunch of Polish citizens who were Jewish, and they took them off to Germany and put them in camps and things like that. This was uh, disturbingly recent in human history. We sometimes like to think that human cruelty 
uh, is worse the further you go back in history. And yet, reminders like that, or Stalin, Russia, you know, uh, Maoist China, remind us that even in modern times, uh, human people can be cruel. Unfortunately, it's also uh, not the first example that we have of Jews in particular being uh, singled out and hauled off from their homeland to another land. And this story of Daniel has such a story as its backdrop. Uh, it wasn't Germany and Poland, it was Babylon and Judah. In that day, King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian armies were taking over everything in the known world. It was one of the largest empires ever known at that time. And when he took over Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, they besieged it, the people were starving, miserable. It's hard for us to imagine what it would have been like in that ancient culture to be trapped inside the city walls for an extended period of time without food, supplies, until you're starving to death and eventually you have to put up the white flag and then in they come, murdering, pillaging. And one of the things that they did is uh, Nebuchadnezzar told his master of eunuchs was his official title. In our books today, it may have called him master of court officials or something like that, but uh, all the court officials back then were eunuchs because uh, kings didn't want their servants getting mixed into the royal bloodline. Okay, So that's why you made everyone a eunuch. And if you don't know what a eunuch is, uh, Google it or ask your mom or dad. So... Uh, anyway, he said, look for some of the best and brightest young men to serve in my court. And so they went through Judah and they looked for the best and the brightest. These probably would have been uh, young men who uh, were probably either, either noble of royal blood to be able to afford education or maybe uh, already being trained as court officials in Jerusalem as well. Daniel was one of those young men and his friends. Uh, three friends are named for us. And these, amongst others, were dragged off from their homeland into a new land with a foreign language, foreign culture, foreign ways, foreign religion. Uh, theirs was a pagan culture. It was very different from the culture that Daniel and his friends had grown up in but probably in some ways not so different because pagan culture had very much saturated Judah's culture by this time and that's part of the reason that God turned them over to the Babylonians as we read scripture. Yet you can imagine at least a little bit how shocking it would be to have your city laid siege to and then you hauled off. Uh, you know, if, if China invaded the United States, and then hauled off our best and brightest to China, right? And if you were amongst them, what a culture shock that would be. Uh, especially if they had to make you a eunuch. <laughs> That's a shock. Woo. But uh, hopefully they already were, <laughs> you know, for their sake. Maybe they uh, were born into that role. I don't know. We can hope so. But it's a horror story to be dragged off to another land 
to see your city wrecked and ruined, the walls torn down, the temple of God ransacked, and everything sacred in there just dragged out to be given to other gods. This story of Daniel and his friends, um, it's remarkable in part because Daniel rose to such great success and to such great power. And probably, you know, who knows if we would know much about Daniel if he hadn't achieved such success that God, you know, he gave God the credit for. But, but I would submit to you that uh, it's not because of his success that we remember him. There were lots of people like Daniel that were successful, and every generation and age has their successful people, right? But it wasn't his success or the power that he accumulated. It was his faithfulness in an unfaithful place. It was his faithfulness in a corrupt culture, in a foreign culture, where it would have been easy to turn his back on God. He did not. And he and his friends stood tall in a culture that bowed down to all sorts of pagan gods and false idols. Uh, Daniel and his friends stood up and remained faithful. And it's for that that we remember them. It's, it's because of that that their story has been recorded for us. And so as we go through this series, I want to invite you to think about uh, your life and, and our culture because maybe our culture isn't quite Babylon, but in many ways it's not far from it. Most of us would admit that we live in a corrupt culture. We might disagree on some of what the worst corruptions are, but most of us would agree that it's not exactly heaven. <laughs> you know, it's not exactly uh, holiness what you see on TV. It's not exactly purity what you find in our streets and in our homes, and in our culture, and in our politics, and in our economy. And so, let's talk for a minute about what it means. Let's talk for a few weeks about what it means to live as Christians in a corrupt culture. How to be faithful in a corrupt culture. What can we do? How can we live our lives? How can we be salt and light, as Jesus put it? So let's take this uh, first story from Daniel. Undoubtedly, Daniel was one of the best and brightest in Jerusalem, but who knows? He would have no way of knowing how he would stack up against the competition in Babylon. But he was enrolled in a training center for three years. It's not that different, perhaps, from going to a college or university or an elite program in our day. In fact, uh, this was a day and time when they, there weren't schools in the sense that we have schools, and there weren't universities in the sense that we have universities. But this would have undoubtedly been the best education that you could get, and it, you couldn't buy it. This was owned by King Nebuchadnezzar, and this was he brought in the best minds to train the best and brightest to be his future servants, his future advisors, counselors, employees, to run the government. And when you're the biggest empire and the most powerful king, then you get 
the best and the brightest, right? You, you have that prerogative. You can go around and say to your officials, go find me the best and brightest young men and bring them here and teach them by the best teachers and give them the best food and train them with the best training and I want them strong, I want them smart, I want them... So these guys were going to be the best of the best, the elite of their culture. That's what they were in training for. And amongst the assignments for these best and brightest was that uh, they were to have the best food. So the king's own choice food, the, the food that was reserved for the palace. You know, not the stuff you could buy at the market, no. Uh, not the stuff with rotten spots or, you know, uh, last year's harvest or whatever. No, this was fresh, good food. This is from his own pastures. This was from his own uh, farmland. This was from the, the best that the whole empire and kingdom had to offer was brought to the palace and fed to the king and to his servants and to these young men he was hoping would be the best and the brightest in the world. Uh, so Daniel sees it and you know you and I are thinking look I've had a rough few weeks here. <laughs> I mean, my home is devastated. I don't even know where my family is. I'm here with all these foreigners. Everything's weird. Finally, I catch a break and we get some awesome food. <laughs> like at least, at least there's this light at the end of the tunnel. I've got some really good stuff here. But no, Daniel's like, yeah, I can't, I can't have this stuff. And it wasn't because Daniel wasn't allowed to have royal wine or food. The problem was mostly with what the food was and how it was prepared. And if you know anything about Judaism and Jewish people, you know they've got all kinds of rules about food. Um, both which kinds of food they can eat and also how it must be prepared. And to this day, if you go in a grocery store, you'll find things marked with a K saying kosher. And that means that it's from either the right animal and it's also prepared the right way. That there's nothing in the process that would violate uh, Jewish Orthodox food restrictions. Well, in Babylon, they did not have any concerns about Jewish food restrictions. Right? And not only that, but their pagan culture would have mixed their food and religion uh, quite a bit. And so, in many times, the food would have been offered to pagan idols and then uh, been part of a pagan ritual and then brought to the table for them to eat. And they might have considered that a great blessing, but Daniel and his friends considered it accursed. And so, they go to this official that God had given them, you know, a good reputation with already. And they said, look, is there any way we could just do something different here and, and not eat that food? And the guy said, look, I like you guys, but uh, if you start losing weight or anything and they find out that I'm not giving you the food I'm supposed to give you, it's off with my head. So, you're going to eat the stuff that we give you. Well, he leaves and they go to their personal guard, the guy that is directly over them all the time, that gives them their food and things like that. So, they talk to him and they say, hey, can we make you a deal? You just bring us water and vegetables for 10 days and see how we're doing compared to everybody else. And then we'll just go from there. If we're not doing good, then you switch us back to the other food. If we're doing great, then maybe you consider leaving us on this plan. 
And the guy says, okay, we'll try it for 10 days. I don't know how they convinced him. I think I would have just said, sorry, you're out of luck if it was my head on the line. But that guy was nicer than me. And he said, okay, let's try it. Maybe he was curious. Maybe he thought he'd get a good laugh out of it. I don't know. But this is, you know, this is like going to the Brazilian steakhouse where they've got unlimited supply of every meat cooked fine and they're coming around and offering you, you know, lamb chops and elk and bison and all kinds, you know, all the meats that you might like and that smells so good and you say, you got any steamed broccoli? <laughs> you got any Brussels sprouts maybe? <laughs> That's what they did. And I always get a kick out of, you know, there's been a whole like movement in the Christian, American Christian culture to turn this into a, a food dieting program, the Daniel Fast or the Daniel Plan, right? And the, it's based on this story. And they say, well, maybe this is the healthiest way to eat. Look, it worked for Daniel and his friends. And I feel like they missed the point. This is the first miracle contained in the book of Daniel of several where God steps in and miraculously helps out his people who are striving to be faithful in a faithless generation. This is the first miracle of several. We're more familiar with Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel or his friends, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Um, but this is Daniel and his friends and the veggie plate at the steakhouse. <laughs> And it's just as big of a miracle because uh, they went with a nutritionally inferior diet and yet became healthier than the people with the nutritionally superior diet. This was uh, something that did not happen. There was, I mean, these people were not idiots. They knew how to fatten people up. They knew how to get you strong. They knew that you needed protein. Right? They knew all this stuff. They may not have called it protein, but they knew if they served you this food and you worked out, you did better than if they served you carrots and you worked out. Like, they could figure this stuff out. So, this was a miracle, and they knew it. When after 10 days of eating nothing but Brussels sprouts, I hope, that, I hope they had something else going for them, but after eating nothing but veggies, they were doing better you know, they were tipping the scales more than the guys who were eating the fine, best menu in the land. And the guy, the guy that was the guard was like, well, you can't argue with that. You know, further proof that this was a miracle was the fact that the guard did not think, hey, maybe I should switch all my people over to veggies. <laughs> he didn't do that because uh, clearly he was like, well, your God's helping you out, I guess. And so there's this incredible story where Daniel and his friends are trying to figure out how can we pursue purity in this corrupt culture that we now find ourselves in. And that's my question for you today. And the question from this, uh, from this first chapter for us to consider. If you want to fill out your note card, you can. And then I've got a few questions for us to consider that you might want to jot down notes about on there, but how do we pursue purity in a corrupt culture? This is what Daniel said. He resolved not to defile himself 
with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I believe that there are many people in our culture who defile themselves by what they do, by what they practice, by what they, yes, eat, and also by what they watch and what they do. And there's many of us who, as Christians, defile ourselves. We do not pursue God's way, but instead often pursue the ways of this world. And it's great to have an example like Daniel, who is a guy, look, even his own people hadn't been that faithful. That's why they're in Babylon in the first place. But apparently God had a few that were faithful, even in that culture and in that land. And these young men determined that they would do whatever they could to pursue purity in a corrupt culture. I wonder if we would do the same. I want to point out, before we go any further, we've made this point a lot around here, but anytime we preach a message like this, it deserves saying. We don't practice uh, Judaism anymore. Legalism. We're not interested in behavior modification. We're interested in becoming like Jesus. We just spent two weeks talking about spiritual disciplines by which we, we place ourselves in position for the Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds to transform who we are from the inside out so that we live in a different way. I heard it put this way um, this week that we want to be with Jesus, which is what we just talked about recently, being with Jesus, so that we can become like Jesus, so that we can do the things Jesus would do if he were us. This is our pursuit as Christians. And I don't want this message or any other message to come across as a legalistic thing or a thing of self-righteousness, um, that you need to follow these rules and do it by your own strength and that kind of thing. That's not what this message is. But there is something about our relationship with God that is a relationship. It's a, it's a two-way street. okay. And yes, He has a part that's essential to the process of us being purified by the blood of Christ, being made new by His Spirit. But we have a part also. We do our part and trust Him to do His part. If we don't pursue purity in a corrupt culture, then we're not pursuing the Jesus way in a corrupt culture. And if we're not pursuing the Jesus way, then we're not following Jesus. And if we're not following Jesus, are we Christians? So I just want to frame that in that perspective. When we talk about pursuing purity in a corrupt culture, and this is also not even about perfection or knowing exactly what you need to do in every situation. That your pursuit of purity is going to look different than my pursuit of purity, even though we live in the same culture. And I want to point out that Daniel and his friends, they were 
calling audibles here. Like they, if you're you know ever in a football game, maybe you'll be watching football tonight, and the the quarterback backs out and you know calls an audible. He calls a different play at the line of scrimmage because he sees that the coverage is not what he needs, and so you know he he calls. Well, that's what Daniel and his friends are doing. They they showed up in a situation, and they're like, "What do we do here?" And so he's just winging it. You know, he's just like, "What if we just eat vegetables?" You know, there was, no, uh, there was no handbook for this. There was no handbook that said, uh, if you're offered royal food and wine, ask for a veggie plate. You know, there, this was not in the rule book. They're off script. And this is what it's like for us to pursue purity too. There's no handbook that says, if someone asks you to watch this movie with them, but you think it's inappropriate, do this. Right? There, there's nothing like that. If this advertisement crops up, take this step. You know, if you find yourself getting addicted to pornography, do this, this, and this. You know, there is no handbook for this stuff. But each of us pursues purity in a corrupt culture the best that we can and by the Holy Spirit's help in our life. So I want to just encourage you to think through a little bit some ways that our culture is corrupt and what we might need to do about it. One way that our culture is corrupt is, has to do with our sexuality. Our culture has detached sexuality from reproduction almost entirely and it's now just about recreation and pleasure. And so there's no wonder then that we have so many um, oddities cropping up or problems, or addictions, or confusion. Uh, we live in a culture where if it's, if it's just for recreation and pleasure, and if it's safe, then why not explore? And so when you do that, uh, it corrupts what sexuality was created for, and what it was meant to be, and what it functionally is for. And so uh, then it's easy to come up with broken families, and a fragmented and unstable society, um, people often experience lack of relational intimacy or even the ability to experience intimacy. They often find a greater difficulty in finding partners and we could go on down the line of all the fallout from this corruption in our society. But I don't think any of us would deny that our culture has an unhealthy relationship with our sexuality. Just turn on cable or go to a movie Read a book, log on to the internet. So what do we do? And this is where, again, I feel like your, your pursuit of purity is going to look different than mine and than your neighbor's. But maybe it means saying no to fulfilling desires that culture says are okay, but God says aren't. Maybe it means uh, waiting and holding out, even when culture would mock you for it. Maybe it means placing uh, really like weird restrictions on yourself, like maybe you cut cable, maybe you uh, restrict your internet access. Things that nobody does in our culture, because how could you and still function? 
Well, people functioned for a long time without that stuff, didn't they? Uh, so I don't know what it looks like for you. I mean, Daniel and his friends looked pretty weird eating carrots while everyone else was having, you know, the steak plate. So what is it going to be for you? Our culture also has uh, corruption when it comes to wealth. You know, we, we praise capitalism, and in many ways uh, it's done more to lift up the poor than any other economic system in history. You could argue that. But at the same time, it encourages all this competition for your dollar and a lot of advertising and telling you the things that you need that you don't really need. And, you know, there's all this, uh, you know, everywhere you turn, there's some new luxury product that you just have to have. And so it becomes our, our culture. The people that we look up to and celebrate, these celebrities and and the, you know, all these kind of people, they, they model for us all the things that we need to have, that we want to have. You know, everybody's got granite countertops now, except for me. <laughs> no, it's not true. But it seems like it if you watch the right TV show, right? <laughs> if you fix her up or whatever, you can't. So what does it look like to pursue purity in a culture that worships money and pursues it above justice and mercy and generosity and love? Does it mean downsizing when everyone else is upsizing? Does it mean committing to spend less so you can save and give more? Does it mean making a rule that you never buy what you can't afford to pay cash for? I don't know what it means for you. Our culture is also becoming corrupted by ideologies. We're a very divisive culture. We split into our different tribes and political groups, and um, we often demonize the opposition. It's, you know, everyone's talking about how divided we are these days, right? Everyone's got polar opposite opinions, and on this subject or that subject, whether it's politics or social issues, and, and we tend to demonize the other side and make excuses for our side, right? And we just, everyone's doing this. This is what we do in our culture. We hold up celebrities and politicians as icons or saviors. So how do you pursue purity in a culture like that? I don't know. Maybe you start praying for your enemies. Or some of those crazy ideas Jesus talked about. Maybe you decide you've got to limit your exposure to the news. I have to do that some days. I'd probably be better off. Julie would probably be happy if I did less news. <laughs> do we spend more time praying and less time fretting? Or do we insist on stopping our role in spreading negativity? And talking bad about people whether we know them or not. I don't know what it looks like for you. But we've got to live with our eyes open to the fact that this is a corrupt culture and if we're going to pursue the Jesus way, we're going to be pursuing purity in a corrupt culture. And that's going to take some creativity. And sometimes you might have to order the veggie plate at the steakhouse in some sense. You may have to be that weird person that does something 
even though it doesn't make sense because you're trying your best to follow God and you trust God to make up for the difference. That's what they did. They weren't even sure that this would work. But they were just trying to remain faithful. They weren't even sure if this was the best plan or the best idea or if this was really going to work out or be wise. But what they knew was they wanted to pursue faithfulness to God. And God saw their hearts and he honored their desire to remain faithful to him. And he came through and supplied the power needed to help them maintain their purity in a corrupt culture. And I believe that in our culture today, people who are passionately pursuing purity, faithfulness to God, in this corrupt culture, will find supernatural intervention on their behalf. God stepping in, His Holy Spirit supplying power where it's needed. Things working out that culture would have said wouldn't have worked out. It's amazing how many stories you hear of people who take a step back from the, the craziness of the pursuit of money, for instance, and they just start getting crazy generous and God keeps pouring out blessings on them. That's just one example of many. There's people who decide, man, I'm going to really fight this pornography thing and they've failed time and time again, but they keep pursuing it faithfully. This trying to step back from that, trying to win that fight. And God proves himself faithful and comes through on their behalf and helps them find victory over something that not many people are finding victory over. You hear stories about that with alcoholics and the list goes on and on. There's things where in our culture that it's really hard to break yourself out of and free of because everyone in the culture is doing it. But I believe if we pursue purity, I believe if we pursue the Jesus way, we pursue faithfulness in an unfaithful generation, that God will honor that desire and help us become the kind of people who desire the things that He desires. The point of this is not to be better than everyone else. The point of this has always been, from Daniel's day to our day, to live in such a way as to be salt and light to illuminate God's truth, God's ways to point to the fact that there is a God that created humankind and that his ways are the best ways Christians are called to die to their old self and to the corrupt culture of this planet and come alive to a new culture in Christ this group right here ought to be a support group where we can come and feel like we're not so crazy after all. For looking so different from culture. So, as we close today, figure out what it means for you. Pray about what it means for you to pursue purity in a corrupt culture. Figure out what it looks like for you to order the veggie plate at the steakhouse. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your better way of life. God, our corrupt culture has in many ways corrupted the church and Christians as well. They've rubbed off on us. And so, Holy Spirit, 
We need your help. Meet us with miracles as we pursue your way and your culture. God, make us the church that you'd have us to be, the people you'd have us to be. As we pursue you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.